turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're in the middle of a summer series entitled Encouragements from 2 Corinthians. And um, as we're turning there, just a reminder on Sunday nights, we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, we'll be doing that uh, this evening, 6 o'clock, and uh, currently studying the book of Hosea. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, five verses this morning. Uh, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful time that we have enjoyed being able to sing your praises. And the only consolation we receive as we uh, cease that part of the service is that that will be our eternal portion. But as Pastor Gordon shared, uh, one day, no longer through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Thank you for inhabiting our praises, Lord. And whatever um, way that the ways you have given us, just to thank you and from grateful hearts. We thank you for your revelation to us. We thank you for your word. And we pray that as we continue to seek you this morning, you would open up your word to us and speak to us personally. You know, right where we are, you love us, you care about us in a way that nobody else can remotely approach. And we thank you that you have something to speak to us in life, that your voice is in the mix of all of the other voices that are going on and on and on in life. Thank you for your voice. Help us to hear it now through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Once again, as is characteristic of this Uh, book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul provides us with this uh, glorious truth of uh, something related to the Christian life. But that truth comes out of a a particular difficult circumstance in his own life, some mistreatment of the church in Corinth directed toward him, though he had been used by God to establish the church and had invested 18 years of uh, 18 months of his life in uh, in the full establishment of it, and once again the attack upon the apostle Paul there came from what appears to be a group of very carnal, uh, selfishly ambitious leaders who had gained very significant influence within the church and who were threatened by Paul's continued. Uh, authority, pastoral and apostolic authority uh, within the church. And it appears that at this point in time, he represents the most significant obstacle to them taking over the entire church, and he may indeed 
represent the lone obstacle that they face in taking over uh, the church. And in this, and, and one of many attacks that they mounted against Paul's pastoral and apostolic authority was what they considered to be his lack of letters of commendation uh, from others uh, testifying uh, to this pastoral role that, that he had, this apostolic role and authority within the body of Christ. And we would call these letters of commendation, we would call them reference letters. And evidently, they had come from other churches uh, to the church in Corinth. They had probably uh, most likely come from the, the church in Jerusalem. And they then produced these letters to the church, uh, indicating that others uh, spoke for them and the health uh, of their spiritual uh, influence. And as they had come with those letters, they conveniently now uh, pointed out to the church that the Apostle Paul had failed to do so. And they convinced the church to ask Paul to do so in order to continue his pastoral and apostolic uh, authority and relationship with them. Not only would this have been a stunning affront uh, to the Apostle Paul, I mean, such utter disrespect shown to him in what they owed to him and God's use of him, but it was utterly illogical as well. You need letters of recommendation concerning people you don't know. You don't need letters of recommendation concerning people you already have a very close personal relationship with, like the one that they already had with the Apostle Paul. And how could they know him any better than they already knew him? How could he supply even a single letter of reference that would have a greater impact upon them than the impact he had already had in his presence and in his character? And to this uh, demand or this request for these letters of commendation, Paul responded and he said, you are our epistles of recommendation. Their faith, their salvation, the existence of the church at all in the city of Corinth, their changed lives. All of these things were a testimony to God's authority and anointing upon the Apostle Paul as both a pastor within the early church and an apostle. And of the change that the Holy Spirit had brought into their lives, testifying to Paul's uh, authority, he had written in his previous letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I'll read it to you. He said, But do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then here it is. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And Paul is not here 
uh, denying the value of letters of reference or letters of commendation uh, and the necessity of them in the ancient world in the early church, nor even uh, today. Uh, They're very necessary to introduce someone who is unknown to a congregation by someone who is well-known to uh, the congregation. And in fact, the Apostle Paul did this repeatedly in his own letters. So often when he would close them, he would then uh, 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 commend uh, particular individuals that either brought the letter or were accompanying the group that was bringing the letter to them, in essence saying this is a safe person spiritually as in an influence to uh, the congregation. And so uh, uh, you don't ask for letters of people of recommendation you don't know written by those uh, that you do know. And so then in verses 4 and 5, Paul declared that his sufficiency was of God. In other words, that what had uh, happened in their lives was not the product of Paul's talent or his life experience or some uh, natural gifting that, uh, that he had, but that it was a work of the Holy Spirit through his life. In other words, you know what happened in your life. You know that all of it was God. It was God's use of me. God is my reference concerning my pastoral and apostolic authority. And if you need a reference, all you need to do is ask him uh, uh, about me. But again, in between their personal mistreatment of Paul, as is addressed there in verse 1, and then verses 3 and 4 is birthed this beautiful truth about the Christian life uh, that as Christians, we are an epistle of Christ known and read uh, of all men. And we will make that our focus for the remainder of uh, this time. Notice Paul declares in verse 3, you are an epistle of Christ. And in this, Paul is declaring that just as the changed lives of the Christians in the church at Corinth were Paul's letters of commendation to others concerning his apostleship, so to each of us as Christians, our changed lives are a letter commending Jesus to the entire world. Our commending of Him to the entire world as Savior and as Lord. And what an amazing thing that is to be a letter that we, uh, in a life that is lived day in and day out, that commends to every person we see and every person that watches our life, that our life commends the entire world to come to know Him in the same way that we do. You notice that we are not epistles to Christ, that we are instead epistles of Christ. That is, our lives testify to who and what He is. They testify to the truth of His gospel. They testify to the certainty of His resurrection, to the greatness of His power, to the perfection of His wisdom, to the beauty of His holiness, the greatness of His grace and His forgiveness and His love, and that the change that He has produced in our lives He is willing to produce in any person's life. 
But notice that Paul goes on even further to declare that our lives are uh, commending Jesus to the world as Savior and Lord, but additionally, we are, as that letter, known and read of all men. And this declaration of the Apostle Paul concerning us, that we are known and read of all men, is an interesting one, and it's a very, very important one. I would venture to guess that when the average person finds out that you uh, 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 or I are, uh, am a Christian, uh, it would certainly be true of me before I became a Christian and even after becoming a Christian, that I would be very, very interested then in watching this uh, person's life. And people would begin to watch our lives accordingly, as indeed they do. And some of them, of course, will do it with a critical eye. They'll want to find some kind of a fault within our lives in order to use it as an excuse to reject Jesus and to reject Christianity. There are other people in our lives who are <clears throat> in closer to us, perhaps in family members or friends or uh, uh, others who know us very, very well. They'll notice the difference between the person that we were before we became a Christian and the person that we have become since becoming uh, a Christian, and they will be very, very curious about what has and who has produced that change within our lives. And in most cases, it's a very, very dramatic change. It gets people's attention. And then many others will watch our lives out of a uh, sincere hope and of seeing in us an example of the kind of human being that Christianity produces to be able to look at our lives and come to a conclusion about the quality of human being and the quality of human life that Jesus produces within his followers. And of course, this is a priceless privilege for, uh, of every Christian who desires not only to know God, but to make him known to the whole world that our lives could be something that beyond even what we speak, uh, our lives are communicating and testifying uh, to Him in all of these ways. And of course, we want the whole world to know Him in the way that we uh, uh, know Him. It's wonderful to realize that uh, through our even though our verbal witness might be restricted in certain environments, or there are many people who will refuse to listen to us, talk about Jesus, or they've listened and now they say, I don't want to hear anymore about what it is that he's done uh, in, in your life. That the witness of a consistent Christian life can never be silenced. And that's what Paul wants us to to know here. People may not like what they see, they may even hate what they see, uh, but they, they may be deeply convicted and rebuked by what they see, but they are all forced to acknowledge it, that our lives have changed and Jesus has done it, and that our lives then commend Jesus to them as Savior and as Lord. The language that Paul uses here is very, very strong. 
when he speaks of the fact that our lives are a letter which are uh, beyond that, known and read of all men. The word read there means, literally means to read aloud. In other words, uh, that is, we are recognized for what we are, a letter, a communication, a revelation of Jesus Christ himself to them. There is no denial of that in reading the letter and the life of a consistent Christian. Now, they may do whatever they decide to do uh, with uh, what they recognize to be true about our lives. That's their entirely people's own decision. But Paul is saying, uh, see it, they do. They do see a different kind of human being. Uh, and the human being that Christ uh, produces. Now, <clears throat> having said that, and despite the fact that this is a summer series on encouragements from the, the book of, of Second uh, Corinthians, a word of exhortation is, I think, needed here as well. As much as this is a great privilege in our lives as Christians, to be a living epistle uh, to the world testifying to Christ, and a witness to him, it is also a tremendous, tremendous uh, responsibility as well. And it's important to stop and ask ourselves this morning, as is uh, appropriate, uh, and say to myself, because people are reading my life as a Christian, and because, not if, but because they are coming, absolutely coming, to conclusions about Christianity and about Jesus Christ as a result, including the decision of what they will do about their own salvation, is my life one that is consistent in representing Christ and representing the Christian life as it's represented uh, in the Word of God? It is very sobering to realize that the very best advertising for Christianity is Christians, but the very worst advertising for Christianity is also Christians. And we want to be the very best advertising. And if my life isn't one that is a living epistle, if it isn't, if it isn't one that is accurately representing our Savior, representing the Christian life, then to take some time today and give real consideration uh, to that prayerfully and then get things situated between us and the Lord. There's the famous saying in this regard, uh, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. That has never been more true in the history of the United States of America than it is today because of the, the neglect of Scripture, how little Scripture is read, how much uh, more limited exposure is to Christianity, to Bible, to the things of God as the culture continues to move in the direction uh, that it is. So it becomes even more important where people may not have a Bible in the home, don't have a Christian heritage like some of us might have, and then for them to be able to look at our lives and read the Bible uh, there. And it's very, very <clears throat> heavy to realize 
all of this that I may be the only Bible they will ever read. And I want them to read an accurate Bible in my life. But I'll tell you, it never does me any harm at all to be reminded that I am a living epistle and to be reminded of the fact that people are coming to conclusions about Christianity and the Savior that we've sung about today from from my life. Notice, too, that Paul, in verse 3, tells us just how as Christians our lives become this living epistle, which uh, then commends Jesus as Savior and as Lord to the world, how it's written in our lives, how it occurs in our lives. We could end the sermon right here. Ah, much to the joy of a silent minority present, perhaps. But we would leave it before we fully understood what Paul wants us to understand here in this regard. So it's very easy for me to walk out the room and say, okay, I am a living epistle of Christ. I'm going to go out there and be the most living epistle of Christ that Modesto's ever seen. And I won't even get to my car before I ask the question, how in the world does that happen in my life? How is that accomplished? Do I write that letter? Does somebody else write that letter? Or uh, or does God write that letter? And Paul doesn't leave us hanging there. And so he goes on and he talks about the fact that all of this occurs, verse 3, as the Holy Spirit writes, not with ink on paper or even carving in stone, but by doing something far more permanent, by writing his message on tablets of flesh, that is, upon our hearts. And so you take and you write a letter with a pen and a piece of paper, and that's the most fragile piece of communication there can be. It's the least permanent written communication you can find. Then he gives the example of carving a message then onto stone. That's more permanent than pen and paper, but it still will ultimately uh, crack. It will begin to disintegrate, and it will ultimately collapse and lose the, uh, the, the message as well. But what God writes on a human heart, that lasts forever. And that then raises the question, what exactly is it that the Holy Spirit writes on our hearts in order to make us living, uh, uh, living epistles, commending Jesus to the world as Savior and Lord? And the answer to that is His Word. His Word. The perfect, beautiful, pure, peerless Word uh, of God. If you read the rest of the chapter, not right now, but later, and Paul even begins to hint in verse 3, as he mentions the tablets of stones, which refer to the Ten Commandments of Moses, and then is a reference, as Paul uses it here, to the the entirety of of the law uh, of Moses. Paul is talking here about God's commandments being written into the deepest parts of our lives, into a living place, within our lives by the Holy Spirit. And all of this is exactly as God declared it would be when he provided mankind with a new covenant in the form of his Messiah 
as he prophesied of it in the Old Testament through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Allow me to read you the Jeremiah passage first, Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In the same vein, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God declared, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. And all of this then raises another question. There's so many questions that Paul raises in our minds. But the question that gets raised then is to what end? To what end does the Holy Spirit write God's laws and His statutes and His commandments on our heart in order for us to be a living letter to the world, again, commending Jesus as Savior and as Lord? And the Holy Spirit writes God's Word on our hearts. He gives it that deep living place in our lives in order to conform us into the image of Jesus and to do it the most effective way, in fact, the only effective way, from the inside out. You notice at the end of the chapter in verse 18, Paul brings this uh, out where he declares, for we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me to read it to you in the Phillips translation. I think it's helpful. Phillips writes, But all of us who are Christians have no veils on our faces, but reflect like mirrors the glory of the Lord. We are transfigured by the Spirit of the Lord in ever-increasing uh, splendor uh, into His own image. And of course, in the New Testament, the Word of God uh, is uh, a mirror represents the Word uh, of God. It's a symbol of the Word of God. And as we look into the Word of God, we see the glory of Jesus in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit then takes what we see on the printed page, and then he lifts it off of there, and he works it to make it a deep living part of our inner and then our outer lives. And because Jesus is the very best advertising for Christianity, there is no one better. Uh, we are good advertising, so to speak, for Jesus and Christianity to the degree that our lives are like His. And that's why the Holy Spirit does this work within us through the Word of God.
And so he uses it in that way so that when we read the Word of God, when we study the Word of God like we're doing here now, or study on our, uh, on our own and, uh, and, uh, and are, are taught it, uh, etc., and then he writes it in the deepest part of our lives from which we operate and live our lives. And he takes it then from being something that's external to us one moment, we read this passage of Scripture, and in one moment, it sits on a page. Some truth about God, some commandment about God, something of the wisdom and the love of God. And we see it with our eye, but it sits on the page. And it would forever stay on the page, apart from a work of the Holy Spirit, to then lift it off that and then bring it into our lives and build it into our relationship with God. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit in writing this letter uh, within us. And this, of course, is known as sanctification, becoming holy, becoming like Christ. He is the definition of, of holiness and what a blessing it is to be made holy from the inside out and to be made like Him. But then I think there's another question that gets raised, and that is, what does this look like in our lives? What does this feel like in our lives as Christians when it's occurring? We might sit here this morning and say, oh, well, I understand that this is all of this is true concerning me as a Christian, but I don't know that I've recognized any of this occurring in my life. And so to ask the question, how can I recognize this thing as the Holy Spirit is making us living epistles, finishing the epistle that we are building and writing continually in, in, in this epistle to recognize that it's happening? In this regard, Paul, Paul's description of this dynamic concerning the Spirit, uh, he calls this dynamic in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, he calls it the law of the Spirit of life. And, I, and this really, really is helpful for me. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And when He comes into our lives, He brings a new law with Him. And the law that He brings into our lives is called the law of the Spirit. When we become Christians, we're freed from the law of Moses. It has done its job. It has convicted us of his sin. It has taken and delivered us to the Savior. And then when we become Christians, it's done its job. It falls away now uh, from us. But when that happens within our lives and we become Christians, we do not become lawless by virtue of becoming uh, Christians <clears throat> at all. We're not free to live our lives any way that we want as if we would desire to uh, live that way any longer in our lives. And instead what happens is the Holy Spirit enters a, uh, introduces a new law into our lives that's even higher than the law of Moses. It's even more demanding than the law uh, of Moses, and it's called the law of the Spirit. 
And this law deals not just with our outward actions, as the law of Moses dealt with so uh, uh, pre- uh, predominantly, but it also deals with the inward parts of me, my heart, my thoughts, my motivations. And it in- endeavors then, the Holy Spirit, in this work of law in our lives, endeavors to conform each of us and every part of our area to Christ. So the law of the Spirit speaks of the active, living work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by means, uh, using the word, by, by means of conviction or affirmation in order to do so. And how does that happen in terms of conviction within our lives? Maybe you'll uh, recognize a, a couple of illustrations. So here we are as a Christian, and we're tempted in a moment in time uh, to tell a lie, uh, something that would be utterly inconsistent with uh, Jesus himself, completely inconsistent with the Christianity that's described uh, in the Scriptures. And as we're perhaps formulating the lie, or even as it's approaching to come off of our lips, at that that moment the Holy Spirit stops us and goes, ah, 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 ah. And he stops us. And we didn't have a Bible open, and it wasn't open to a place that was talking about lying. What's he using? He's using the Word of God that he's brought into our lives and made a living part of our lives, and now he is speaking to us of the fact that to do this will mar the epistle. It will mar the letter that you are to the whole world and the letter that you want to be. How about um, a a Christian that has this momentary thought of cheating or stealing? I mean, you're just about to to sign your 1040 in uh, March or April. And, uh, and, 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 and it's completely inconsistent, of course, with Jesus. And at the moment we're about to, to do that, to take advantage of another person, again, the Holy Spirit. Ah, 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 ah. And he brings that, that word, and he applies that law of the Spirit to our lives, and he protects the letter that we are, and, he, and, that, and that we want to be to the world. And so perhaps we're engaged in a conversation where, uh, with somebody, and now it begins to drift toward gossip and slander. And as we're about to engage in it, the Holy Spirit speaks to us of the fact that you never saw Jesus slander or gossip. It's completely beneath Him. We would be appalled if, we, if there were a passage of that in the Scripture concerning uh, His, his uh, life. And it's inconsistent, and, it, and it's beneath us as Christians. And then we're silenced, and we excuse ourselves then from the conversation. Or we can be going through life, and we get exposed to something that's sexually impure or immoral. And then the battle begins instantaneously about taking the second look or taking a longer look related to uh, the, the, the temptation that is happening. And the Holy Spirit immediately lets us know that that's not what we should do. Reminds us of how Jesus views people, and He doesn't view them in that way. And He protects the epistle that the Holy Spirit is writing within our lives. And then oftentimes it can center on anger, where I'm engaged in a conversation with somebody, and 
about something. Maybe it's a friend and some political issues come up or some cultural issue has come up and I feel my face getting flushed and red and, and uh, my voice raising and I'm just about to mar my Christian witness in the conversation. And the Holy Spirit will just speak to us and remind us to back off the issue that it is not worth this secular thing is not worth spoiling our uh, Christian witness or putting the epistle, the manuscript that our lives are at risk. And that's the living law of the Spirit at work in our lives. It's like having a free life coach. I don't know how many of you have a life coach. I don't have a life coach. I have the Holy Spirit. But one time I was interested in this, there's life coach this and life coach that, and it's never been bigger than it is now, and it speaks to the fact of how desperately people are to be coached in their life by someone. They know they're in the middle of something that is way bigger than them and their abilities to navigate it. So I went online and said, how much does a life coach, uh, a coach cost? Oh, my. It's a fortune. To have these people accessible at various times and have them speak whatever it is that they speak uh, into, into a, a person's life, uh, you, you have to be very, very wealthy to have that kind of person. And here we are as Christians, we've got the finest, if you excuse the terminology, life coach you could ever have living inside of us by the Holy Spirit. There is nothing we uh, can't pose to him as a question uh, 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 even if it's an unspoken question about what to do here or not to do here and why. And the conversation is always an ongoing uh, conversation. And, and this is how he works within our lives. I think about church leaders and, and there's uh, so much sin to choose from within our culture. It's part of the freedoms that we have, the accessibility and the availability of, uh, of sin. But church leaders and pastors, we don't really have to make 40 laws about what you can or you can't watch on television, uh, but rather just to instruct people to listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives, to obey the law of the Spirit, and, and whether He wants us to watch that, uh, watch that show or not, or visit that website or not, or play that video game or not, or whatever it might be. You think about just in terms of entertainment within our culture. Think about how many laws we would have to make if we tried to replace the law of the Spirit at work in our lives with a law of our own making in an attempt to make Christians holy or more holy. How many laws would you have to write just in terms of entertainment on a screen? Uh, this and that and don't and this and, and all of the nuances and the mess and how gigantic is it? It would be volumes of, of, uh, uh, of commandments. And, uh, uh, but here is this law of the Spirit. It's the single voice here and uh, uh, speaking into our lives and doing what written laws could never do. And very often, though, this law of the Spirit takes the form of affirming and encouraging in our lives as well when we do what's right. So you're in the parking lot someplace, and you see the parking spot the same time they do. 
And maybe you're a foot ahead of them. And you got the faster car. And so you're going to, no. So you just hold back and say, all right, I'll find another one. And then they roll in. Or you're in a conversation with somebody, and they may be a hard person to have a conversation with, and they're going on and on and on and on. And, uh, or somebody, it's a heated discussion, they get in your face. And we maintain the control of the Holy Spirit in the situation, a witness for Him in, in the situation, and then we walk away from it, and then the Holy Spirit goes, Hey, good job back there. How'd that feel? It felt great. I lost that parking lot space, uh, but I would lose a hundred parking spaces for what I feel right now. And because what I've done in, in, in the Holy Spirit, does that feel right? Oh, yes, it feels very right. And the reason it feels right is because it's consistent with the life of Christ. And we haven't marred the epistle. We haven't marred the letter, the witness of our lives uh, to the world, commending Jesus uh, uh, to them. And so it, it isn't a written law. As wonderful as a written law might be in its own right, it's a living law and a living teacher living right inside of us. And his leading, his convictions, his affirmations will always be consistent with the Word of God, consistent with the Bible. There are 613 individual commandments in the law of Moses. The interesting thing is, is the New Testament, the New Covenant, is more demanding than the Old Covenant. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, you have, uh, you have read or you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. That's law. It's in the Old Testament, and it's absolutely true. But he said, I say unto you that if you look at a woman in lust, you have committed adultery. That's a higher law. That's a higher standard. That's a different letter that's being written by the Holy Spirit in the lives uh, of a, a, a Christian. Who can keep track of 613 laws? Who can keep track of this higher law that we're called to as, as Christians? You can't, but the Lord can. The Holy Spirit can, and He does. And so all we need to do is just keep track of one voice in our lives, the voice of the Holy Spirit, listen to Him, obey His promptings, live under His direction, and we will enter into a life of holiness and Christ-likeness that no law or legalism has any hope of producing within us. Because not only is He more specific in His instruction to us than any written law could ever be, but that He then provides us with what no written law ever can. And the words of Paul to the church at Philippi, He provides us with the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure. He provides us with a desire to keep the commandments of God. And then He provides us with the power uh, to uh, uh, do that within our lives. This work of the Holy Spirit writing on the fleshly tablets of our heart, this epistle, and that's what it looks like and how it operates within our lives so we can recognize it 
as we recognize these things being written into our lives, where we recognize that what, what, what was once only on a page in my Bible has now become a living, working part of my life. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit, who then, as a part of that work, makes us living epistles of Christ. And so this morning we celebrate the fact that we have the privilege of living our lives in a way that makes an eternal impact within uh, the world. And what a blessing it is. And sometimes we think, oh, nobody's watching us. What impact am I making? My life is nothing. I'll, have, I'll die and they'll do the funeral and no one will come and nobody even knows that I exist. That's not true. It's not true. If they know we're a Christian, then our lives are speaking. They are this epistle. And what significance that gives to our lives on a daily basis that our lives are a means of communication by the Holy Spirit into the world around us, even in the environments and situations where we cannot speak, but our life is speaking by the Spirit, the change in our life, the Christ-likeness of our lives. Wonderful, wonderful privilege and celebration to be the epistles of Christ known and read uh, by all uh, men. And then to know how it happens. There's a work of the Holy Spirit that accomplishes it within us. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this reminder this morning that we are living epistles and how wonderful it is to realize that as your Holy Spirit is making changes in our lives, making us more and more like Jesus, that our lives are known and read of all men, that the changes that you make are impossible for people not to, uh, to uh, notice within our lives, and that our lives have a way, uh, even in a silent way, of commending to the whole world that watches us, commending Jesus, you to them, as their Savior and as their Lord. Thank you for this work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for how far you have brought us in lifting all of this truth off of uh, the pages of your book and then giving them a living place within our lives. And we ask that you would continue to do that, Lord. And we are grateful for that experience, grateful for the privilege, grateful for the life that unfolds for us, and just as grateful in our desire for the whole world to know you the way that we know you and the power of our lives in that regard. Thank you for the lives that we get to live, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.